This is Barcode, a cocktail-powered podcast that dives deep into the technology, personalities, criminals, and heroes that have come to define modern security across the globe. I'm Chris Glandon. Join me at the bar for an amazing story. Remember those cowboy stories many of us grew up on? Loners roaming dusty American plains with some slick maneuvering always happening along the way. What drew us in was always that rogue spirit. Part precision, part mystery with unexpected plot turns that kept you hooked. Nowadays, the digital world breeds their own type of tech rangers, riding solo across virtual terrains, hacking in and out of systems that most can't penetrate. But what we don't often get to see is what really drives them to sneak through these insecure back channels. I say, while considering this, we sip on a drink that I call the Lone Ranger. Fill a shaker with ice. Add in one and a half ounces of Blanco tequila, three-fourths ounce fresh lemon juice, and two and a half ounces of simple syrup. Shake it and strain it into an ice-filled glass. Top it off with two ounces of sparkling wine. Lend your ears, amigos, and prepare to hear a Codeslinger story like none other. Wirefall is an Air Force veteran who has spent the past 25 years in security consulting. He's the founder of the Dallas Hackers Association, a former board member for the B-Sides DFW Security Conference, and a longtime advocate for diversity and inclusion within the InfoSec community. Throughout his career, Wirefall has established himself as an expert in attack and pen testing. He is a contributor to several notable publications, including Kevin Mitnick's The Art of Intrusion, and the Tribe of Hackers Red Team and Security Leaders books. Wirefall is also the primary developer and chief consultant at Telesploit, where he enables specialized security assessments for clients globally. Wirefall, welcome to Barcode. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. And first off, I want to thank you for being included in and being a part of the Lone Star Cyber Circus event that we did last month in Grapevine, Texas. It was an honor meeting you there and just truly appreciate you you joining us then and sharing your insights. I appreciate you bringing the mayhem to the North <laughs> Texas area. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Phil, Juno, Neural, um, and then of course Hutch and uh, uh, Quentin. It was a great show. Yeah. And for those that, that haven't heard that yet, it is uh, posted and I'll, I'll post another link. I was glad to be part of it as an outsider. So thank you for welcoming me to the community. Absolutely. So let's start here with, with your story. You know, I'd love to hear how you broke into hacking initially. So if you don't mind, just sort of walk me through how your journey evolved. Sure. Sure. And it's, it's funny. Every, Every time I've been on a, uh, a podcast or talked with people about when it's framed as tell me your story, all I can think of is Steve Martin and the jerk. <laughs> my story. <laughs> you want to know my story? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, um, no, it's uh, I've I've always been around technology. Uh, given that I'm in my mid 50s, the definition of technology was much different then than it is now. But still, my my parents encouraging education, putting me in a Montessori school where we the learning was because kids are naturally curious. Kids are naturally hackers. Um, schools beat that out of them. Regular schooling beats that out of them. They go, no, study this, take this test. This is what's important. A kid wants to learn. Children want to learn. And so the Montessori system really encouraged that. I'm very thankful for them to... Uh, have put me in that system. And then also uh, like they would bring home things like uh, my, my favorite toy ever was 150 in one electronics kit. It had resistors and transistors and even had an IC chip, which back then was, you know, new technology. And you took wires and followed the schematics in the little books and learned what all these components did and then could create your own things. Um, I lived in the radio shacks when radio shacks were actually electronic stores. And uh, was then introduced fairly early on to uh, computers. So my uh, my my parents were divorced. Uh, 
my dad and my, my mom and stepdad um, were the ones that got me into the Montessori and the electronics. And then I moved to my dad and stepmothers and my stepmother was getting into computers at the time. So she was a systems analyst back in the day where there was the punch card feeding. And, you know, that was really, that was our uh, 3M hadn't invented post-it notes yet. And so cut in half punch cards were our notepads <laughs> for leaving notes to each other. But uh, it, was, it was really difficult to write on the holes. But um, yeah. And you said your mother was a systems analyst. Yes, she was a systems analyst. Okay. And uh, she would have to sometimes go in at night, uh, late at night, to reset printer cues or something. And she would always grab me and bring me along so that you know it was night you know alone she didn't care for that so she'd grab me and bring me along little teenager and uh um maybe even a tweener then but and sit me down in a terminal while she did her work and i would play text-based adventure games colossal caverns that type of thing so it was a lot of fun and then she brought home a uh computer it was a didn't have a hard drive it had dual discs and would boot up and it had an audio coupler 300 baud or 150 or 300 i can't remember baud modem so that she could dial in from work now and you know not have to go in well now i no longer had text-based adventure games you know <laughs> so it was good for her kind of sucked for me and um but I, gen x latchkey kid so what was your first computer at home i have no idea what that was i really don't remember it was uh you know ibm compatible the but I, I I figured out how to dial in, okay, to her work, and play those text-based games. So that was, I guess, you could say, really the initial phase of the computer type thing is learning how to uh, uh, get into systems that without knowing anything, you know. Um, and it was because you didn't have access to that game at home, right? Was that like the primary yeah. driver. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And then that was the time frame I was into Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Dragon Magazine started posting in the magazines, basically uh, basic scripts that you could run to do things that were Dungeons and Dragons related, like create random characters or a random monster list or all of that. <clears throat> so there was no flop. There was no disc included. It was like 50 pages of code you had to type in yourself. And of course, you're, gonna, you're going to fat finger something and it's not going to work. So that was learning, really learning how to troubleshoot and develop encoding. And my first quote hack was realizing that basic random R&D was not at all random. It was completely based on whatever seed you provided it. So if you give it a seed and you give it that same seed the next time, the same series of numbers would appear. So, and you figured that out on your own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't in any computer courses or any, anything at the time. This is probably 82. Okay. Around there. And, uh, so I, I wrote a little basic script that would run that as many times as I wanted. And then it would output all the numbers with which seat it was and what the numbers results were. And now, so I could go, Hey, I'm going to create a random character. And if I wanted it to be a bad random character for them, <laughs> I could provide a bad rat, you know, a bad seed. If I wanted it for my character, I could put a good seed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was the start of just, well, that, to me, that's just being inquisitive. That's not really hacking. It's just, just being inquisitive. And, uh, yeah. Um, although you at that time understood that you could manipulate the system. Absolutely. To your advantage. Yes. Yeah. And then I got out of it. I mean, it really, I saw, I saw my stepmother just working herself to death, uh, always in front of a terminal. And I'm like, I, that's not how I want to live my life. I don't want a terminal in front of me at all times. I want to go out and do things. Of course, I didn't see the mobile revolution where we always have things in front of our face now at all times. Uh, that's just normal. Oh, yeah. You know, our, our phones, everybody has it at all times. So, I mean, I never saw that coming. But uh, I went in the military, uh, used my technical training, uh, the, the electronics. I, I became a, a radio repair, basically. So fixed ground, uh, ground air radios. And uh, got the GI Bill. So that came back out, started going to school, got a job at a sheriff's office that I was the radio tech, but they also had this new thing, this token ring network. 
And uh, so I, I went to school and I, I got I, an associate's in computer network operations and got that job. And uh, that was the start of the professional career. Nice. But while I was doing that, you know, I, I just came back from the military. I'd spent four years in Europe and everybody's talking about the World Wide Web. You know, this is 94. The web, this is going to change everything, right? And so I, I knew nothing about it. I'd been completely offline. And I get a local dial-up account to a free, uh, a free net and do that same curiosity thing. Well, what is this? And poke around and start po- I swear... Anyone who was connected to that free net at that point in time using Windows, which was the vast majority of everyone then, you know, mm-hmm. Linux was, what, two years old? Um, you could access their hard drive. It was like, no, this is not going to explode if this is, the, you know, what? And so anyway, I was just aghast. And I'm like, oh, well, how do I stop people from accessing my hard drive? You know? Um, and what exactly do you mean when you say free net? It was a dial-up ISP, and there was a, a, a lot of, they called them free nets back in the day, where you could get a free shell account uh, and use it to access the internet. I think I paid a couple dollars a month to upgrade to, from SLIP to PPP, different protocols to make you go faster, you know, with your 14.4 modem. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm poking around, and I'm like, this isn't, this isn't good, you know. Um, and so look, start looking for resources, how I can better secure myself. And there wasn't a lot back then, you know, there's frack magazine and that type of zine. There were some zines. There were actually no professional magazines that I'm aware of. Uh, So it was, yeah, learning by exploring with the web, which was great. It taught me that. And then the dot-com boom did happen. It exploded. And all of a sudden, you know, real professionals are realizing yeah, this security thing needs to be addressed. And just because I've been doing it, you know, probably just less than a year, that was a year more than anyone else. And so the jobs just get, that was in the dot-com boom. It was just hopping jobs. Uh, I immediately went from a network technician to a security uh, consultant for a major bank. And then interviewed for a, a position down here in Texas. I was in the Northwest position down in texas where they sold me to the customer as the foremost expert in computer security (laughs) it's like nice i just don't want i just don't want people to access my hard drive is that's all (laughs) you know in your mind that's what you were concerned with yeah yeah uh which means you had to learn how to attack it you know how are these people attacking it and so to, to secure it the uh it, it i mean but there was probably some truth to that i mean not many people may have had that knowledge at the time it, that is, and, and and honestly, when when folks come up to me and ask how to get into the industry now, um, I really, I, I I'm at a loss. You know, I, I definitely encourage them. Usually, it's at one of the networking events that we'll talk about. I'm saying you're doing the number one thing that you need to do is get out network. Um, but as far as from a technology perspective, like I said, there were zines back then. That was it. Now you can get a PhD in cybersecurity. Um, I don't know how you, the, the, the best advice I can give is my own advice. You know what, how I experienced it, which means you need to get a, a degree in advanced theoretical physics or something. And invent a time machine, go back to the dot com boom and say, I know security, you know, that's all you had to do then is say you knew it. And, but very different. Yeah. Um, so you, that, that sort of, thrusted you into your career um and you said you were at a bank first uh yeah my first uh, security centric position was at a bank okay they, i was i was we, they were just getting into online banking and so they had me do an assessment of the environment and i came back with i mean just reams and reams of because they were getting ready for an audit so I'm like, here's all the things we need to do that need to be done. And they're like, okay, well, at least now we know about them so that when we have the audit, we can go, yes, we're aware of that. We're working on it. <clears throat> they hadn't done anything yet when the audit came in. It was by one of the major consulting companies, the big four, big three now or whatever, <laughs> big two probably by the time this airs. Um, and they came back with the administrator account had not been renamed. That was the only finding they had. Interesting. 
So it's like, wow, these are professionals and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. In, in my mind. And so, yeah, so I, I definitely, uh, uh, was doing more than I think the most people at the same at that time. Yeah. I guess they didn't care about their hard drives. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then, I mean, it, it also helped you realize the need on the enterprise level. Absolutely. All right. So let's fast forward to Dallas Hackers Association. Um, I'd love to hear more about how that came about and what has been your approach to successfully building and sustaining a successful ethical hacking community there. Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say the genesis was, and I came down here, uh, I, I'd never really been part of uh, a community before, uh, before moving down to Dallas. And at that time, I'd already turned 30. So uh, I was looking for, I, I knew nobody here, nobody in the area. We just moved down here blindly for a, a job. And I started looking around and there was this group called the Dallas-Fort Worth Wireless Users Group run by Tony Loro, goes by Wooming. And this is the time of where everybody's doing Wi-Fi, you know, the first Wi-Fi networks for homes and uh, NetStumbler was a thing. Mm-hmm. And my background was wireless, radio wireless, that type of stuff. So I went just to see what it was. And oh my, my goodness, it was so refreshing to be around like-minded people inquisitive um kind of maybe a little bit uh uh on the edge <laughs> but <laughs> my people it was like here's my people i i didn't know that you existed <laughs> and uh yeah so that was wonderful i learned a lot from wooming as far as uh you know it it was a smaller group um especially back then but he definitely uh i i learned a lot on how to develop a community from him so you know or really about uh that you may be the steward but you are you it's it's the community that needs to drive where you go yeah did you grow it just by promoting it online or getting in front of people at other conferences i guess how did you sort of assemble the the members that ended up joining sure yeah so um i did a lot of work for the state and I was down in Austin quite a bit. And that's the mothership of all the Haas, AHA, Austin Hackers Anonymous. And I attended there several times. And the, they'll admit it, they're very elitist. Uh, they mm. don't want you to come unless you can contribute. And, um, you know, it's not, I wrote my first Perl script. It is, you know, here's how I zero-dayed something. Gotcha. For the most part. But. So that I, I, that exclusivity, I, I I wasn't a fan of. I, I I still, after all of these years, when I go down to Aha, I feel intimidated. <laughs> so I can only imagine noobs walking in the. Uh, but what I loved was they had this real mantra: participate or don't come. Now, I think by coming you are participating. So I I view participation as a slightly different, but it was encouraging people to contribute. It, and the talks were not one hour, one and a half hour monolithic, you know, here's the subject for tonight. They're fire talks. So mm-hmm. 10 minutes, get up, say your spiel and get off. So you get exposure to a lot of different ideas, a lot of different, you know, viewpoints. Really, really enjoyed that format, which didn't exist up here in Dallas. So when I came back and was working back up here, I, I supported the local groups. And that's my number one thing is always support your existing local groups. Um, so DC214, our DEF CON group, uh, at the time it was called NASIG, North American Information Security Group. That went away and became North Texas Cybersecurity Group. But they were all that monolithic talking head. And, you know, if it was on a subject that I found interesting, if it was on like web application penetration testing or, or something that I, then great. I'm gonna, but if it was on PCI compliance or something like that, I was going to have a really, really bad night. Um, so I wanted to see this format here and nobody else was doing it. Got it. So I did it. I, I would much rather somebody else did it because uh, then I could just sit back and make snide comments, <laughs> <laughs> not have to carry it. I have my, I, I have a, a, a 99 Yukon and the entire back is filled with my gear. 
So uh, yeah, 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 I have to bring that out every month. I've seen that Yukon. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole back is filled with my gear when I uh, go to DHA. So nice. Um. So yeah, so so just talk to me a little bit about you know initially starting that up and then just scaling it out. Honestly, I think what we you know it, for, first just do it. If there's going to be like-minded people out there. Uh, there, uh, even if it's just a few of you at one time, we were just a dozen people at, at first with DHA. So, um, and that's enough, you know, that's enough, but what grew it? I, <laughs> I honestly think is the place we were initially at on Wednesdays, they had a special of half price wings. I bought wings and beer and put them on the tables and people came, you know? You so know. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, that definitely helps the, uh, <laughs> but yeah, now we're, you know, hundred plus most months. Oh, that's amazing. It's crazy. But, uh, and then, um, I also wanted to ask you how, how can folks today that are interested in joining, um, what does that process look like? You come out. <laughs> okay. No registration needed. No, we're on meetup and I, you, uh, yeah, that's basically how I think it grew faster than the other groups in the area. They were slow to get on line and advertising. They would have mailing lists or those types of things, uh, a website, which you'd have to just find. Uh, uh, we put ourselves on meetup and a lot of people found us through meetup. So, nice. and then Twitter took off and yeah, we were on there, but, uh, it, it's basically a mini con every month now. Uh, we, we have, we have, a uh, we don't currently have a CTF. We had a CTF for years. We're in transition on that, but where you could just come and learn hacking. We have lock picking every month, lock sport. We have a career room that with a book swap where people bring books that they're done with and others can grab them. Uh, so if you're just getting into the field, you don't have a lot of extra cash, grab a book or two, talk to other people. We have, uh, we've had hardware hacking, coding sessions. Uh, when, if it's overwhelming, which it can be for f- some folks, uh, we have a chill out room where there's just the board games and stuff like that. So, uh, that's so cool. Um, man. yeah, you just show up on meet. If you need to find us on meetup or on meetup and on Twitter, uh, you don't have to RSVP. You don't have to sign up through meetup. You just show up. I'd say whatever the meetup numbers say for the, 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 uh, attendance, it's going to be two or three times that because most people don't go through meetup. So do you cap your attendance? No. No, we, we have had one time where the fire marshal walked in and just kind of shook his head and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> and where is this held? It is at Encore Family Karaoke, a Korean karaoke bar. Nice. Okay. Uh, they opened just for us on that day. They, they uh, We have the main stage, which is where all the fire talks go. So you actually get up on stage in front of a screen and do your presentation. And then we have... You know, I, I mentioned all the other things we have, the lock sport and career room. Those are all the side rooms of the the karaoke bar. Okay. So it's it's really like we have a mini con every it is, month. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a mini con. That's awesome. Um, is it once a month or do you have it more yes. frequently? Okay. No, it's once a month, first Wednesday of every month. And then uh, the venue is so fantastic that uh, DC214, our DEF CON group, now is the sec- it's always the second Wednesday. It now meets at the same place. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice, man. These these venues better be like security experts by now. Like just <laughs> overhearing you guys. That's well, awesome, uh, yeah, uh, yeah the, the, we've definitely become family at Family Karaoke. And uh, yeah, just I just noticed last night that I mean, not last night, this past Wednesday, where uh, uh, one of the bartenders was wearing a uh, uh, DC twenty four hoodie. It's a disobey on the back. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're making an impact. So as someone who leads a community, um, you know, with many people learning from your contributions to the industry, um, I'm curious to know who were some of your own key mentors or resources uh, that you utilized that provided you guidance throughout your career? <clears throat> like, I, like I said, I, when I moved here in 99, I'm, I was in my 30s already and I had had no community. So I, you know, I definitely reading the zines and looked up to folks like, uh, loft heavy industries with mudge and, uh, uh, the CDC, 
all the things they were doing that was interesting, but I didn't interact with anybody. Uh, I wasn't on the uh, message boards or <clears throat> doing any of that that kind of stuff. The uh, first mentor from a that perspective was Tony, Tony Loro, probably. You know, other than man, some managers in in my profession, was Tony Loro because I learned the importance of community and mm-hmm. and the the power of community. So that, but for my whole life, I would have to say my my wife and I have been together since '95. And that is about the time I got into this. Yeah. And the reason I am where I am is because of her. She had so much more confidence in me than I ever had. I was just this little introvert that never thought, you know, I was like, wow, I got a job. This is awesome. And I'm working for, I'm basically working at a sheriff's office, fixing radios and playing with their new network for, I think at the time it was $12 an hour. (laughs) And I thought I was, I, I had it made, right? And she just kept pushing and kept pushing. And then there was an opportunity that came up for us to move. It was like two and a half hours away uh, to uh, Vancouver, Washington and to work. And she's like, let's do it. I would never have even applied to the position if it wasn't for her. Just because I did, you know, I didn't feel that I, no, nobody actually met the qualifications pretty much back then. But so I read them and believed them and go, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And she's just no apply do it wow and uh every single thing she's been behind me on absolutely yeah that's so important man that's so important for you to have that support for your own passion and um yeah and not only that it was just um it was a risk for you to take at that time yeah well that one too that was that was a minor two and a half hours we could still go home on the weekend you know visit family on the weekends and then there was that opportunity down here in dallas and it was a six-month contract. I have a job, a good job with a bank. And she's like, do it. Right? Because the money was really good. This is the dot-com boom. They were throwing money around all over the place. you know. And, But a six-month contract, she's like, then you can find another job. We'll be fine. And I come down here, and it turned out to be two years, uh, two-year project. And so we moved down, the whole family down here. And yeah. Wow. So she was really a North star for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would have still been probably working at, uh, the County, uh, at some point, <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm not saying I wouldn't be happy, but definitely wouldn't have become what I, what I've become. So, so I'm going to switch lanes for a moment. Um, you know, over your many years of security consulting, along with your current role as chief consultant with Telesploit, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the cyber threat landscape? And as we discussed at the Lone Star Cyber Circus event, how do you feel as though AI is reshaping it? Sure. Yeah, starting with the, the differences between the threat landscapes back then and now, I would say <clears throat> same shit, different day. Mm. Honestly, it, most of the time is, you know, we fix the the issues but not the root causes in most cases so you know yes you can no longer do the ping of death because they fixed that but they don't fix the root cause of you know not understanding the the whole you know i think that's one of the big differences between builders and breakers uh, like that uh, i think it was out of band ping of death where it was some kid in canada figured out that if you connected back to the same you know you told a machine to connect back to the same port on it so you spoof a packet that it would just crash. It would blue screen. And the whole concept was, well, nobody would ever do that. There was, there was, there was no reason to do that. So they'd not thought of that to protect against that because nobody would do that. There's no reason to do that. Um, so the, the builder breaker mentality, I think, uh, you know, we're getting a more and more, I think we're getting better and better at it because of the DevSecOps where you're building that into the pipeline, but still, Every time we come up with a new technology, we do the same. We implement the same weaknesses that we didn't learn from previously. Coming from uh, you know a telecom background, with uh, they learned that you know all the early freakers that you don't put management in band. Uh, then we create data networks, and we put management in band. You know, so we just keep, and then we create wireless networks, 
and we do the same types of we put the same mistakes that we had in each previous technology so whatever the next technology is there's going to be very similar or at least very similar root cause type type problems i believe um now ai uh this is where i've gone through my i think my biggest transformation i was a curmudgeon up until recently uh you know i would joke always that if it was machine learning it was written in r or python and if it was ai it was written in powerpoint <laughs> you know yeah because it just it really was it was a buzzword and it, it was it was not ai um we're seeing ai some some the generative ai is i've been lucky enough to you know uh watch hutch at your podcast uh with quentin i also had uh the privilege of being with hutch and quentin on two panels uh at north texas issa conference this past year and it's like well you know these are smart dudes maybe there's something to this <laughs> and i took my first course prompt engineering for developers and uh, blew my socks off uh, interacting with chat GPT through API and what you can do. And yeah, this is, I'm, I'm now getting all these like excitements for the first time in quite a while of like, how can now this use this one to make my job easier, mm-hmm. but also, you know, uh, how are the attackers going to do leverage it um, to make everyone's job harder? So uh yeah, you know, I mean, basically, I am a defender that uses attacker methodologies. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, how how are we how are they going to use it? Because that's how I need to to learn how to use it. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, it's so difficult to predict what's next. Um, but from the attacker standpoint, you know, what AI capabilities have you seen today could be used to to help aid in their attack methodology yeah i i think there are there's definitely a new attack vector against those using generative ai systems you know where they've shown that they can you know make a chatbot give uh sell them a car for a dollar or something um so there's definitely a new attack vector there but i think really from an attacker perspective what it does is it's what every single what we've been experiencing since the very beginning of doing these types of assessments and penetration tests is at first, um, you know, nobody was doing this period. So like when I started, uh, Nmap didn't exist, you know, and then it was published in frack magazine. And again, you had to code it yourself and, and run it and troubleshoot it. And, but so you didn't even have port scanners, you know, a, 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 a very, uh, uh, you know, robust port scanner. You start getting these tools like Nmap like Nessus. Now it allows more people access to be able to play with those things, mm. right? Cause they're not having to write their own tool. There is a tool. Uh, and we've progressively been seeing that, you know, to where it, those types of things increase, you know, like back in the day, there was a website called packet storm. Oh yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah. You download the tools from there. And a lot of times there'd be a purposeful mistake in the code to stop noobs from writing, you know, from just running it and exploiting something. You had to know what you were doing at least a little bit to be able to go in and, okay, here, what, here's what I need to do. Here's what I need to fix and then run the tool and it would work. Um, so they were putting a barrier to entry for that. Right. Uh, then all of a sudden you just had things like Metasploit where it's like now anybody can just download Metasploit and click point click and, and run it. There's still some manipulation. You need to understand the tool. You need to understand, you know, how you, get a shell and all these things, but it made it much more approachable for more people. Uh, I think we've continued to see that in the industry. And now the, the, the culmination of that is generative AI. We're now a user that has no coding experience, no anything could potentially use a system that didn't have, or, or, you know, didn't have the, 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 the safeguards in place or that, there's known, you know, uh, ways to get around the safeguards to just say, Hey, do this for me. Mm-hmm. You know, but that opens it up to the entire world. Basically anybody who has any language processing capabilities. Yeah. So it's volumetrics. I think, I think the, the attacks are the same thing mostly, but it's volumetrics. You're, you're, you're now, you know, you're now becoming much more asymmetrical. 
let's talk about improv, man, because when I got to know you, you told me that you're into improv now. So yeah, just curious how you discovered improv and, and if you've uncovered any parallels between navigating an improv scene and, uh, and hacking. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I can't encourage it enough. If, if you've never done improv, even if it absolutely terrifies you because it did me, you know, take that chance. It is life altering. Absolutely. I wish, I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties. I wish I had found this 30 years, 30 years ago in my life. I'm not saying I don't like my life, but it would have been completely different. There would have been a lot less stress in my life. Um, one, because improv is just playing, you know, you get to play and that takes off stress, but also just what you get, how you learn to, uh, to process information. It, 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 let's take a step back. Why I got into it was, um, you know, I was that little introvert that never had community and speaking in front of people terrified me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started, so I start a, uh, uh, a hackers association and stand in front of people and talk, which was terrifying. Um, but after so many presentations, you know, it just, you just keep doing it. You keep doing it. It's kind of like Toastmasters. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You, it, it becomes second nature. And so I got over that fear by doing. But every one of my presentations was 100%. I knew everything I was going to talk about. I'd practiced it a dozen times. Everything was scripted. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd maybe go off script a little bit, but I really pretty much had it memorized. Um, and then there's extemporaneous communication. You know, so if I'm in a room and somebody would just ask me, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I'll automatically freak out. I don't have a script for this. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I, you know, to the point where I would get tunnel vision, I would feel like passing out. Oh, wow. Um, you know, my heart would race. I would feel like I, my, my hands were shaking. Um, it was really bad. Yeah. I mean, that was my, that was just for presenting in the beginning. Uh, but I overcame that, but I'd still get that same feeling in impromptu situations. So it terrified me and, uh, my wife and I support each other and we have a date night thing. We always decide for, you know, this year we're going to do this or this, you know, quarter we're going to do this. And one year I, I did, uh, I, I, picked a, a full season at the symphony. So we would do that every, every week. And it was my turn and I picked improv and we started it. Uh, got a couple, probably about a month and a half in month, month and a half in, and then COVID hit, shut everything down. Uh. And so that was, yeah, uh, that was my intro to it. It was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and as soon as you make the decision to walk in, they shut down. Yeah. 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 Basically. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, so things started opening back up. I go to my wife, uh, uh, earlier last year and say, Hey, would you like to do improv with me again? I want to do this. And she's like, have fun. (laughs) It was not for her, but, uh, but I got bit by the bug hard. Uh, I, I go in there and it is, yeah, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. You know, um, then after you do it and you do it and you do it, like, all of a sudden the, my, I realized my biggest thing why, where that the, the fear was coming from was fear of failure. Mm. And in improv, just about every time you fail, it's spectacular when you don't. But everything's basically a failure, which in improv they're taught there is no such thing as failure. Because every single time you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're not going to do the best thing you possibly could because it's made up on the spot. You know? You don't have all the resources at your disposal. You did what was exactly supposed to happen. That's what they preach. Interesting. Doing all the reps. We call them reps just like anything else, you know, like working out or doing whatever. Doing the reps is all of a sudden I was starting to feel comfortable where I could go out on stage in front of people and I will be <laughs> doing that tonight. Um, and I, you don't know who you are, where you are, or what you're doing. You have no idea. And some of the things it teaches you is that you're out there with another person and you have to establish a reality very quickly. Right. So you have to be completely attentive and listen. I learned how to listen in my fifties because we, you know, we all hear each other, but usually you've got half your mind doing other things because you can kind of process what they're saying and you know, that person and you know where they're coming from and all these, you make all these assumptions. There's nothing to assume. When you walk out on that stage as a blank slate and you have to listen to your partner, watch your partner, figure out what they're doing 
and figure out where you are and who you are and what you're doing. It's, it's, it's like, it's a heightened level of, of being in the moment. That's, they really preach that is you're in the moment. Absolutely. You can't plan ahead. You need to find out what's happening now. Um, but then with the, some of the core, uh, correlations, which is, is crazy because I, we've had now several members of, uh, Dallas hackers join the improv troops I'm part of. And we've had even several improv folks now that attend Dallas hackers. And I really do th- see a crossover in these communities. Um, one, they've both been very, very diverse. You know, there's just people coming from all different backgrounds, viewpoints. Um, and then also that one of the things I think that I've found is in improv, the whole thing is they call it finding the game. So all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're just doing building the scene with the hope of finding the game, which is some sort of pattern that is anomalous that kind of goes out and is funny because it's anomalous. You know, it's not just, you know, a day in the life of, you don't want to just watch two people just talk about their day. Right. There's going to be something that's unique and you pull on that and you enhance that. And then you explore it. Then you enhance it. Then you explore it. That's hacking. Yeah. You know, hacking is looking for that pattern, that anomaly, that thing that really is like, this doesn't look right. How, you know, or yeah. So I, I definitely think there's some similarities there. I'm sure it has also helped you learn the art of pivoting, right? Mentally just hitting a wall and then being forced to redirect yourself in the way that you want to go. Absolutely. Where does this take me? Where, where does this take me? And, and, and uh, I said, it's life changing. I absolutely 100% believe that because uh, I was reinforced just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed for a job for the first time in probably 15 years. I've been with the same company for 23 years now. Uh, another, not, not Telesploit. That's, that's a, that's yours. Yeah, that's mine. Uh, but day job for 23 years. And so I don't, you know, going towards retirement there, some changes are happening before little introvert. Me was terrified. I would be sweating before an interview. I would be, you know, trying to fight my, right from throwing up and all that kind of stuff, you know, just that general. So it's been a long time since I've interviewed. And so I thought, you know, I've, I've come a long way, but this is very, this isn't a presentation where you have a script. You don't know what they're going to ask. You don't know any of this. And I thought I'm going to experience the same terror that I used to. Yeah. It was freaking easy. I mean, it was like, this is improv, you know, really I, I'm, I'm taking the information in, I'm listening. And then I'm responding honestly, you know, and it's, it's automatic for you now, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying every situation, but situations that you before would be overthinking or scared. Now you, it becomes more comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, just because of the reps, you know, you're, you're, this is, this is what I do every week in class is I go up and I, you know, basically allow myself to be vulnerable and fail in front of people. And, uh, yeah, once you get over that, <laughs> once you get over yourself, yeah. it's, uh, it's a revelation. Have you always forced yourself to be put in scary situations like this, just knowing that, that you'll overcome it? Like, has this been a pattern that you followed, knowing that ultimately there will be a positive outcome? Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, whether it's, uh, my first conference talk or even probably my nth conference talk, I was, I'd, I'd submit and then get accepted and be like, why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And it was because I, you know, this fear, uh, um, is driving because I I think one of the reasons I, I have been successful at what I do in penetration testing isn't so much my elite skills. I've been doing it for a long time. Yes. I've gathered some, some knowledge, but I know people surrounding myself at Dallas hackers, there's some incredibly elite people there and I feel not worthy, but it's not my elite skills. It's, it's not, you know, I do have a curiosity, but it's really not the curiosity of how does this work? It's the curiosity of why did you put a security control there? You know, kind of like a door with a lock is like, I didn't want to know what was behind that door until you closed it and locked it. Now that's all I can think about. Is, you know, so it's, it's just being childish. It's being, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me where to go. And these things that evoke fear in me, it's my body telling me 
you can't do this. You can't go there. And even though it's myself, I'm like, you don't tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a rebellion. It's a childish rebellion of I'm being told I can't do something. Screw that. I'm doing it. Yeah. It's a healthy rebellion. Yeah. And unless it actually kills you, you, you won't regret doing it, you know, or, or yeah, maims you. There's a lot of things that could do, but it, unless that worst case scenario actually happens, which is most likely, I mean, it's, it's a percent you can't even consider it so low. You wouldn't consider it. So tell me what's next for you. You know, do you have any new projects on the horizon other than being involved with DHA, your improv, um, I know you said you interviewed for a position. So talk to us a little bit, if you can, about what's next for you. Right on the horizon here next week. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting up my next improv class. Uh, but I also signed up for another class. Stand-up comedy. Oh, okay. Because now improv is feeling comfortable. Yeah. That terrifies me. Um, now, will I stick with it? I don't know. Like, like uh, when I was starting to feel comfortable with improv, Initially, I was like, okay, I can do this. Let's make myself uncomfortable. And I started musical improv. Gotcha. Um, you know, so you're, you're doing a scene in regular improv, and then all of a sudden it goes, okay, sing about pickles. <laughs> that was beyond <laughs> it. it, it I, I got to the point where I realized this is just causing too much stress. You know, I, I went through like uh, five classes, and then I dropped. I was just like, no, this is causing stress. This is not helping. <laughs> right. And I'm never going to be able, I'm never going to have to, in real life, stop and start singing about pickles. <laughs> so, <laughs> Unless you're doing a pickle commercial or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then I should have the pickle song memorized. So, yeah. Um, anyway. So that's cool, man. Stand-up comedy. Yeah, which terrifies me, because now you're not up there with a person who's trying to help you make you look good and you're trying to make them look good. You're up there alone and you're not making this stuff up on the spot. So the audience doesn't give you that kind of leeway of, Oh, they're just making this up. They're going, you had time to prepare. You better make us laugh. You better be funny. That's scary. <laughs> I hear you, man. Well, good luck with that, man. I, I really believe that, that you will absolutely kill it. So, um, listen, before we go, would you mind letting us know where we can find you and connect with you online? And then also you mentioned a meetup link for DHA as well. Um, should people listening to this just search for that? Yeah, you can just search it uh, by the name, but it is uh, Dallas Hackers Association on meetup um, on Twitter X. Uh, it's at Dallas underscore hackers. Okay. And you, you, um, are very active on X as well. I used to be. Okay. Yeah. Once the, uh, the exodus happened. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I, you know, a lot of the people I interacted with were no longer interacting and which was kind of sad to see, but also it was almost freeing in that I, I, I did create an account on Mastodon. I never go on there. I know me too. Um, but it was also freeing because I spent way too much time, uh, on social media and I feel a lot better now. Gotcha. Yeah, so you can find me uh, on Twitter at, at DHAHole. <laughs> so, yeah, um, there's a backstory to that, of course. But uh, Wirefall was taken, and, and so I'm at DHAHole. Wirefall was taken? Wirefall was taken. It, it, it was a uh, – well, it's, it's kind of funny, the, that handle, um, I've been using it since 96. Um, there was a musician that – called themselves wirefall in the 2000s and uh didn't put out a lot but evidently got the the handle and uh now there is a i don't know what game it is some some computer game where there is a move called the wirefall and so now you, before when you search wirefall basically all you got on was me now it's all about computer games <laughs> so damn but uh yeah so dha hole or on linkedin i actually you know i dox myself you can uh you can my vanity url on linkedin is slash wirefall and it's got my real name on the on the page so so you've been in texas for a while um you know the community where in your opinion is the best bar in north texas and what makes it unique? yeah i, I I don't go out a lot as far as uh, to the bars, but I would have to say what I've enjoyed the most is um, the truck yard in the colony. Oh, yeah. 
I've never been there, but um, the guys from Cyber Distortion told me about that place. Yeah, so you've got all those, you know, kind of like the uh, the the uh, Cadillac Stonehenge type thing. You so you've got all the cars put into the ground. It's outdoors. Um, you've got multiple bars. You've got uh, you've got food trucks, and you usually have live music. Every time I've been there, it's been country, which isn't necessarily my cup of. But you know, live music, bars, food trucks, and if it's not too hot out or not raining, then it's a I mean, they have in, indoor stuff as well, but it's really nice to go outside and be able to chill. So, Okay, well, I just heard last call here. Do you have time for one more? Sure. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? I would name it Running Scans. Because whenever you're, you know, you're running scans, what are you doing? I'm running scans. So... Uh, I call it running scans. So you're out of the bar and you're just running scans. I don't know if you said running scans or scams because you could do both at the bar. Oh, scans. <laughs> yeah, it could be both, but you know, running scans. Nice. Yeah. Uh, um, better or maybe compiling plugins. Yeah. That takes a long time too, but uh, uh, running scans. And then the drink would be the exploit. Okay. And unlike what people would probably think that, you know, you're just going to, you're going to use like a high risk critical vulnerability. So you're going to use a high proof alcohol. The way you really get an exploit is by chaining together low risk vulnerabilities. So it's just going to be an amalgamation of a bunch of different low alcohol drinks. So, you know, your, your liqueurs, just dump a whole bunch of liqueurs in there into a big cup. And that'll be the exploit. That'll be the exploit. Man, I love that. (laughs) Um, Waterfall, thanks for stopping by, man, and sharing your story with us. It was great to, to catch up again. And, um, you know, I hope to see you again soon, man. I, I got to come back out to Texas, maybe stop in on a, uh, DHA session. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe get up and maybe do another live show. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, if you're, if you're interested, uh, yeah, we do DHA. And then when we break down, we do a live on, on stage after party. So, yeah, I'll even do some stand up comedy. We'll there see. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull you. I'll pull you into an improv skit. We'll do We'll do live improv. I'm down. All right. Down. All right, man. Well, thanks again. You take care. Be safe. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Join us next time at Barcode, where we'll continue to explore the darkest and most adventurous corners of the world. Until then, enjoy your spirits and enjoy life.